Hello, everyone. It's time for your weekly dose of graduate research. You're listening to GradCast, the official radio show for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western. I'm your host, Tanya. And I'm your co-host, Roger. And today, our guest is joining us from the kinesiology program. We have Kelsey Sick, who is currently in her first year of her master's. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you. So we're going to get right into it. You're in your first year of your master's. What are you hoping to do with this program? Oh, man. Getting right into it. Um, Well, luckily, I have an amazing supervisor that's really guided me to figure out what it was that I decided to do my research in. Um, Yeah, so when I started my master's, I was really interested in using exercise as a rehabilitation sort of method. And now I'm actually using exercise still as that kind of treatment, but I'm looking at sedentary behavior um, and changing that type of behavior in terms of exercise. Interesting. So just, I'm going to backtrack a little. What, what is sedentary behavior? Uh, sedentary behavior is that lower, um, it's on the lower end of activity. So it's technically less than 1.5 mets in a seated lying or reclining posture. So imagine um, either if you're uh, sitting or lying down, watching TV, it's like that low energy expenditure. So what we're doing right now. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) What would a met technically be defined as? A metabolic equivalent. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So I guess just very low energy expenditure. Yeah. And I, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, with increases of exercise or when there is uh, exercise going on throughout the day, that increases metabolism even when you're not exercising. Is that correct? Yes. So I guess that would have to do with uh, a lack of sedentary behavior or where are we going with this really? Yeah, so I, I guess, I mean, I, I guess I should say I'm from the same lab as Kelsey, so we'll give a shout out to our lab at the end of this. Yeah. Um, but before we get to METS, does sleeping count as sedentary behavior? No, sleeping does not count as sedentary behavior. Uh, you do need to be awake to be engaged in sedentary behaviors. Okay, so then if someone is, so like us, we're sitting right now and we're being sedentary, mm-hmm. um, if I were to stand, would I still, but I'm not moving, would I still be considered sedentary or now? Standing does break up sedentary behavior. Um, although it's still on the lower end of activity, we do not classify it as sedentary behavior. So I guess where maybe what Roger's getting at is sedentary behavior is completely different from if you went to the gym to exercise. Exactly, yes. Okay. So it's independent of how much exercise you have. If you're spending a certain amount of time sedentary, you're not going to get the benefits of the exercise or you will be getting the detrimental effects of that sedentary behavior. So not exercising at all is completely different to engaging in sedentary behavior. Um, You could be doing, um, I mean, obviously when you go to the gym, you want to be incorporating those sort of moderate to vigorous physical activity standards or those guidelines that Canada does provide. but sedentary behavior has its own sort of health, negative health benefits or health consequences, I guess you should say, um, when you do engage in those. And what are the levels of sedentary behavior that, you know, if you don't move around enough during the day, you're going to start to get those detrimental effects. But how much would you need to be sedentary for that? That is a good question. And I guess that's kind of what we're trying to figure out is how much sedentary behavior 
really is good and how much of that is really bad. Because mm-hmm, I'm sure it's not probably not a good thing, I'd assume anyways, that to constantly be on the move. Exactly. Yeah. Expending energy. Yeah. Yeah. Interestingly, um, the child, there's guidelines for children now. So that's um, under the age of 12, if I'm correct. And they've done 24 hour guidelines. And Mm -hmm. these are kind of the first guidelines that actually say how much sitting time is good enough and how much time you should sleep and how much time you should exercise and kind of broken down your day because, you know, it's not just about get up and go exercise, but it's also about how long are you sitting. Mm-hmm. 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 So you're looking, so you said you're looking at sedentary behavior. Are you looking at a specific population? I am. I'm looking actually at individuals with type 2 diabetes. Okay. So these individuals specifically, um, they are the population that I'm recruiting from or the clinic that I'm recruiting from. The individuals are a bit more on the lower economic status. Um, they might not have a family physician. They might have a bit of language barriers, um, economic hardships. So it is a very specific and it might be a little bit of a trickier population to work with, but mm-hmm. still just as important. And so just, uh, I know I always struggle with this and maybe some some mm-hmm. of our listeners do too. The difference between type 1 versus type 2 diabetes. Type 1, you are born with type 1 diabetes. Type 2 um, is a bit more of a lifestyle um, influence to that. And would this maybe be where the sedentary behavior might link back to Definitely. That? It yeah. could be. Um, obviously, every case is going to be a little bit different, but sedentary mm-hmm. behavior has been associated to um, uh, risk factors such as type 2 diabetes. And so uh, this primary clinic that you spoke about, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Is it here in London? It is. It's at St. Joseph's um, Hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have their own primary diabetes uh, clinic. It's the only one that they have actually throughout Canada or the only primary support clinic throughout Canada. So it's super awesome that I'm able to work with them. Mm-hmm. And so they only see patients with type 2 diabetes? Only type 2 diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um And like I said, the population itself is very specific. So it's going to be those individuals that might not have family physicians or the information or resources to kind of manage their own symptoms. Clearly, there's a there's a demand for such a service. How come there's how come that's the only one that we have in Canada? That's a great question. And I hope I really do hope um, that from the research that I do hope to do that it will make an impact and, you know, Diabetes Canada will see that um, there should be more throughout Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think um, maybe, I'm not sure about the statistics with prevalence with mm-hmm. diabetes, but as we see statistics with like obesity or other um, conditions, they're all sort of related. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so in, so your group that you're looking at sedentary behavior with, how are, how are you doing this? So what, what do you hope to, I guess intervene with in this environment? Um, So right now, the Primary Diabetes Clinic, they offer a resistance training program with a kinesiologist, which is completely different to most um, diabetes clinics throughout Canada, as well as they do have an exercise as medicine program. So they they look at more of a holistic approach using food as medicine um, as well. And where I come into play is I want to look at sedentary behavior and in trying to change those sedentary behaviors by incorporating more standing positions or that light incidental movement or even just light walking. So this is multi-dimensional aspect Very, of yes. targeting. Yes. And so um, would they be would they be getting all of these treatments or would you kind of come in and see which one is better? 
So it will be completely randomized mm -hmm. and we will have three separate groups. So mm -hmm. the individual will either be in one of those three groups mm -hmm. um, and specifically with the sedentary aspect, the lead nurse, her name is Betty, um, she will be helping me with this and she will be kind of educating the participant about the sedentary behavior or the activities that they can do to decrease their sedentary behaviors. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully over those next two weeks before their follow-up appointment, we will see some progress for themselves. And so do you, like, I'm just thinking what you mentioned, all three of those groups sound healthy. So yeah. do you expect <laughs> to see a difference or, you know, can you maybe speculate if one group is better than the other? Because it kind of seems, I mean, something is better than nothing. So. Honestly, yeah, absolutely. Um, I honestly believe that all three of those groups are going to improve, their health will improve, and they will see that, you know, within their biomarkers. Um, to say that my group specifically, the sedentary behavior group that I hope to see benefits from, um, I don't know if it will be better more than the other um but the whole point is like how low can you go on the spectrum of activity to see any sort of benefits mm -hmm. because these individuals themselves we might not be able to prescribe them to do moderate to vigorous activity as recommended by canada's guidelines because um they might just not be able to do that physically mm -hmm. so hopefully by using this sedentary behavior approach um, or this intervention we can find out how low of activity we can prescribe to these individuals and still see those benefits so just in terms of your experimental protocol then is there any danger or risk in not including or is it even ethical to include a group that doesn't have um, any treatment or isn't engaged in any of these? We thought about that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we thought about not having a treatment group at all, but obviously because it wouldn't be ethical. Um, and the whole point is to have the clinic, like we are basing it out of the clinic itself. And so we're using the resources that we have with the clinic. Mm -hmm. And so even um, like the, are you potentially suggesting that um, if someone is able to engage in the sedentary, reducing the sedentary mm -hmm. behavior, could they slowly go to more levels of activity? That would be wonderful if they could. I mean, you know, for us, it's probably good to prescribe the lower end of activity. And if they're able to um, progress to something greater, that is an awesome end goal. So it could even become like a motivational approach Absolutely. to becoming active. Yeah. And what are the potential benefits of reducing the sedentary behavior? Like would um, it reduce the symptoms of type 2 diabetes? Would they be just higher overall? For what um, I'm measuring, we'll be measuring more specifically like the biomarkers. Um, so that might be their insulin levels, that might be their blood sugar. Um, so for me, um, we are still determining what that is that what our outcome measures will be I see, okay. but because these are all measurements that are taken standardly at the clinic um, we're not adding or subtracting anything that's already being done sure so they're already asking the patients how yes. they feel like quality exactly. of life wise yeah. and mm -hmm. yes fair enough okay mm -hmm. and there will be definitely some more uh subjective measures in there too is there anything in particular that you're interested in uh seeing how the uh, increase in exercise will affect the biomarkers, the activity? Honestly, there. like I would love to know how they feel about incorporating those things. Because if I was to ask you right now to stand up, how would you feel about doing that for the next five minutes? On the spot, Roger. Honest, On the spot, I mean, yeah. during the interview, it'd be a little bit tough, but... Uh, but I mean, that is kind of what we have to ask them. 
but for you, you're, you look like an active individual. So <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, it might be uncomfortable for them to be standing for that long. And that is what I'm asking them. I wonder if it's also even social norms, because I'm thinking, you know, when Kelsey asked you to stand, we could adjust our mic and, and stand, but we're just not used to doing that. No, I guess, you know, I was trying to c- come up with exactly why I didn't feel comfortable standing up. Yeah. But it's just like it, it's uncomfortable having to expend energy when it's not needed or when you don't Absolutely. really have to. Right? And like the other issue, too, um, for us, we might be a bit more fortunate, like the university does have standing desks not everywhere but they do have standing desks that we can use and you know those other individuals might not have opportunities or might not have the equipment per se to engage in more non-sedentary behaviors Mm, that's a really interesting perspective so you could even incorporate uh, a little bit more activity into pretty much all aspects Mm -hmm. of your life even when you're supposed to be sitting at a computer you you could stand up and do the same activities there yeah Mm -hmm. So in the clinic, how do you sort of envision this playing out um, in terms of how could they reduce their sedentary behavior when they go to the clinic? So it's going to start with their first initial appointment. Um, Betty, the nurse, is actually going to ask them, uh, specifically for the sedentary behavior group, we'll be asking them to, you know, stand more so um, during their initial appointment, kind of be shuffling them around the room, the more incidental movements, and then ask them, Um, how they feel about using these sedentary behaviors and then educate them on how they can use these or these sedentary or non-sedentary behaviors at home as well. Hmm. And then how would you measure if they did it or not? We hope this is still a little bit in the works, but we hope that they will all have access to a phone. Mm -hmm. Um, So the one thought is that we'll be using a pedometer, which Mm -hmm. most phones are all do have. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that is that is one of the uh, the negatives right now. We're trying to work around. Yeah, and I think that's some of the challenges working yes. with humans. You can't mm-hmm. always yeah. control all of all of your environment. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, w- I guess based on everything that you have going on with this study, uh, where are you right now in the process of making this happen? So I am working towards my ethics application. Uh, this will be done because it is out of St. Joseph's Hospital as well. Um, there's sort of two applications I have to be working with. Um, and I think it's going to be a bit of a, a, a project. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And with all of this going on in Kelsey's life with her master's, she's also working on a community initiative Mm -hmm. um, called You're Enough. And I really think it would be awesome to share that with our listeners because we are more than just our graduate research. So tell us a little bit, what what is You're Enough? Uh, So You're Enough, um, it started probably back in August of last year as a running team. Um, One of my friends and co-founder of You're Enough she had been bugging me to run the Toronto Waterfront Marathon. And I told her I wasn't going to run it unless we ran for a cause because, you know, running 42 kilometers is not really fun. And uh, we decided, or I decided, or provided the idea to run it for the National Eating Disorder Information Center. Um, NEDIC is a charity that I was volunteering at for like the last year. And uh, so I like have to catch my breath. Um, she actually opened up to me about her eating disorder when Mm -hmm. I told her about this kind of idea Mm -hmm. and so it progressed to um, 
becoming this community initiative. So we became a running team. We ran for the Toronto Waterfront Marathon. And now we are offering events throughout Toronto um, and just trying to raise awareness around other types of adversity, other types of struggles, because as humans, we all face struggles and um, we're not really talking about it. We don't, we try and put up this front that we're okay and that we're perfect bodies. But at the end of the day, we all, we all know those challenges and we all face those challenges, but no one's saying that. So after running the mm-hmm. 42 kilometers for yeah. the, uh, what was the, Eating Disorders uh, Canada? Yeah. 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 So how did the You're Enough uh, blossom out of the uh, experience um, there? So after we ran the marathon, um, we actually created the You're Enough campaign. And we sat down with 15 individuals and we asked them a series of questions or interview questions. Uh, They were all filmed and the questions uh, revolved around their own mental wellness, uh, about self-love, self-acceptance. And there was like a very common theme that when people do face struggles, um, they kind of feel shame for it. They don't feel that as a human, they can come to someone and talk about what they're going through because, you know, we have to put up this front. We have to be perfect. We don't want to be seen as weak. And um, just kind of going through your year enough social media, you had a campaign um, that was hashtag speak your truth. Mm-hmm. So what was that campaign? And then what does speak your truth mean? So speak your truth. Um, what we say when we say speak your truth is we want people to open up to have those hard conversations to be truthful about what they are going through to speak your own truth to speak your own story um you know mandy's story my co-founder was her eating disorder that's not my story um my story is going to be different to your story but we all have a separate story and that's our own truth so what we say by speaking your truth is to speak your truth like not hold back by that and I think that creates a lot of conversation too Mm -hmm. around mental health which that's something that we still as a society we need to start doing so so it sounds like the you're enough campaign Mm -hmm. specifically helps to advocate for uh, letting others communicate about their individual truths and their stories definitely Mm -hmm. it's almost creating a space where it's okay to Exactly. And it is. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. uh, we want to say that it's okay to not always be okay, And to know that there's people out there listening, that there's people that care. Um, And is you're enough doing this through social media or how exactly? So we do it through social media for the most part. I mean, we started again as a running team, so we weren't expecting to be where we are with this. Um, But we do have a website. We have our Instagram. We have Facebook. We have Twitter. We have all those sorts of handles. But now what we want to do, because we can only do so much online and to connect with people is really like a physical connection. Like Mm -hmm. it's different. It's different online. So we're starting to offer community events um, and we're collaborating with different um, gyms and health professionals in Toronto specifically right now um, and hoping to continue to raise awareness and to continue to build that community of support. I I really like how... um I was going to ask you, does your enough in any way kind of relate to your research? And mm-hmm. you kind of answered that. So there is that 
piece of healthy living yeah incorporated it with the running and the exercise so is that something you promote through your enough as well to that leading an active lifestyle has an impact on oh absolutely just Mm -hmm. as much as we want to promote one aspect of health I mean everything goes kind of hand in hand physical mental social physical Mm well-being um you know you can't really have one without the other and uh we definitely promote that with year enough. Mm-hmm. So what do you, what kind of opportunities or resources do you maybe have through year enough for people to get active or even participate in this, in the speak your truth type campaign? Or are they able to kind of come with you to events or attend events? How does it work? I um, guess? Yeah. I mean, we promote all of our events online. Mm-hmm. Um, more specifically, a lot of the individuals that have come out to the events, we might not know them personally, which is very um, overwhelming and encouraging to see that people are reaching out to us just as or connecting to it in the same way that we are, like um, myself and my other co-founder. Mm-hmm. Um, so these individuals that are coming out, they can find all of our events online. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just come. They can and just they come. J- and then they, yeah, they can just come. Nice. Yeah. I think it's, a, it's a wonderful initiative, especially with uh, all the attention surrounding mental health. Lately yeah. And, you know, I think body image and uh, a lot of the um, the way we portray ourselves, like, like you said yeah. earlier, it's a, a lot of a, a forsage or a mm-hmm. portage, sure. right? Um, I, I'm just curious, though, how um, there is a fine line, I suppose, between uh, healthiness and, you know, like we're talking about the sedentary behavior and how mm-hmm. that can precipitate the, um, you know, illnesses, uh, including di- type 2 diabetes and things like that. Is there a fine line with you enough, or are you trying to promote health and well-being in addition to, uh, you know, the well-being in terms of mental health and well-being? Um, with my research, I don't really incorporate the year enough aspect to it. I mean, I do, I personally do um, promote the physical and social and mental and everything else, but with the research specifically, I'm solely just the sedentary aspect mm-hmm. um drawing into you're enough mm-hmm. i do talk about you know the knowledge that i have gained from other people's research and what i've seen um online and everything um yeah and i guess part of caring about yourself and you know knowing your worth is you know spending that time caring about your physical and mental well-being yeah. right so i think one of my reasons that i I, as a student, as, you know, someone in research, one of my roles is to educate others. And although it might not be specifically my own research, um, I'm able to share that wealth of knowledge that I do have and tell them, you know, actually, this is good for you and this might help and this might, you know, link it all together because not everyone has the access that we do. So that's really great to see how how your research even though it's not directly related, you can mm-hmm. still tie it in somehow. Yeah. Um, we're kind of approaching the end, so I had one quick question about Year Enough. Mm-hmm. Um, in your sort of description of it, you talk about living in a kinder, more compassionate, and understanding world. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, can you maybe elaborate on that, how you envision that world? Um, I mean, there's so many parts to that. I'm, when I think of a kinder, compassionate, and an understanding, a lot of the time when we talk about mental health, people look at you like you're, you know, you might be crazy or you might be uh, not normal. And we want to say that this is normal. And when we say that, 
that other person who's listening should have that empathy and should have that compassion and you know we hope that you're enough builds that builds that community of support so people will not be ashamed to come out and say I need help well Kelsey I think both of us would love to wish you good luck Thank with you. your enough as well as your research um, if anybody wants to learn more about your research yes um, where can they go and if anybody wants to learn more about your enough where can they go um, feel free to visit um, the website my own lab is the exercise and health psychology lab um, the website's just getting updated but it's still up there anyways for now. And then if anyone wants to view Year Enough, um, we have an Instagram. You can check that out at U, like the letter U, the letter R, enough with two H's, or they can go to our website, which is yearenough.org. Perfect. And before I hand it over to Roger to sign us off, um, I want to let everyone know that we actually have a special episode of GradCast coming up. Um, GradCast will be taking a look at a conference taking place at Western June 20th to June 22nd. It is the Canadian Obesity Network Student Meeting. The Canadian Obesity Network is a national organization that includes uh, world-renowned researchers re uh, doing research related to the field of obesity, wellness, and health. And this meeting brings together students across the country. And Western is the proud host for this year. Uh, we will have one of the guest lecturers on board on our show, Dr. Margie Davenport. She's actually a Western alum and a SOGS alum. Woo! Um, so stay tuned for that episode. And also, if you would like to attend the Canadian Obesity Network, if you're around in London and would like to be there from June 20th to 22nd, you can definitely visit the Canadian Obesity Network website and register today. Um, there's some great speakers, awesome food, um, and a lot to do over those three days. And so again, listen to us next week. And with the obesity, it ties everything in that we've spoken about today with the type 2 diabetes as well as the mental health. Um, so lots to learn and we hope to see you there or we hope you hear us. Well, that's that. Uh, this was GradCast. Today we had Kelsey Sick on. Thank you once again for joining us, Kelsey. Thank you. Uh, I'm Roger and I was joined by Tanya, co-host here. Um, you can catch us every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on CHRW at 94.9 FM. If you'd like to be involved with the show at all, you could always email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to listen to any of our shows, uh, past or present, you can go to uh, gradcast.ca. And this has been a production of the Society of Graduate Students. Thank you very much and have a wonderful week. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.